uh, talk to you today about the message, Never Forget the Power of Remembering. And I just want you to start out with me over in 1 Samuel, in chapter 30. I just want to read this story with you, and we'll come back to it a little later in the message. But the, uh, the narrative begins in verse 1, David and his men reached Ziklag on the third day. Now the Amalekites had raided the Negev and Ziklag. They attacked Ziklag and burned it, and had taken captive the women and all who were in it, both young and old. They killed none of them, but carried them off as they went on their way. When David and his men came to Ziklag, they found it destroyed by fire, and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. So David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. David's two wives had been captured, the widow of uh, the neighbor of Carmel and uh, Hanoam, the widow of Nathan. Uh, David was greatly distressed, in the next verse here, because the men were talking of stoning him. I mean, no, a bad day just got worse. Each one was bitter in spirit. Listen to that. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters. But David found strength in the Lord his God. Then David said to Abiathar the priest, the son of Ahimelech, Bring me the ephod. And Abiathar brought it to him. And David inquired of the Lord, Shall I pursue the raiding party? Will I overtake them? Pursue them, he answered. You will certainly overtake them and succeed in that rescue. David and the 600 men with him came to the Besor Ravine, where some stayed behind. For 200 men were too exhausted to cross the ravine, but David and 400 men continued the pursuit. If you read on, you'll find out that God provided an Egyptian, a slave who was left behind by his master, and this was a strategic partnership for David, as this person would lead David to that party. I want you to skip down to verse 16. He led David down, and there they were scattered over the countryside, eating, drinking, and reveling because of the great amount of plunder they had taken from the land of the Philistine and uh, from Judah. David fought them from dusk until evening the next day, and none of them got away except 400 young men he rode off on camels and fled. David recovered everything the Amalekites had taken, including the two wives. I don't know if that was a wise thing or not, but we'll move right along from there. Nothing was missing, young or old, boy or girl, plunder or anything else they had taken. David brought everything back. He took all the flocks and herds, and the men drove them ahead of the other livestock, saying, This is David's plunder. How many know our God is still able? I want to just uh, kind of share some scriptures for you to set this up. I want you to, to hear these ver words very carefully. No matter what's going on, you and I always have the promise of overcoming. Are you here today? And uh, in this room, we have some people who have overcome some things. And as you continue to live, you'll continue to overcome. Psalm 34, 19 says this, Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Some people focus just on the first part of that scripture. And they don't forget, they don't remember the last part that says, The Lord delivers him out of all of them. 2 Timothy three twelve, Paul said this to his son in the faith. Those who live a godly life in this world will be persecuted. Jesus' own words, John 16, 33, In this world you will have trouble, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And if he has overcome it, then you have overcome it. We understand that it's the, the concept of faith. It's the principle of faith. This is the victory that overcomes the world, even, if our, even, even our faith. If we have faith in him and we have confidence in God and trust in his word, we're going to be the overcomers, just like he is an overcomer. John 10.10 10 says, A thief cometh not before to steal, to kill, and destroy. I have come that they might have life and have life abundantly. Now, I just want to just uh, point this out to you. Despite the clear warnings in Scripture, Christians often seem completely surprised and caught off guard when something bad happens in life. You don't live in a bubble, my friend. And if you were taught an erroneous doctrine of faith, where if you just had faith, nothing would ever happen in your life, you only got part of the teaching. We look at 9-11 and we can say that certainly isn't good. Pictures of people literally jumping off the building because they don't want to die of smoke inhalation or be burnt to a crisp in the upper floors of the World Trade Tower. 
People think it was something that was concocted by man or a conspiracy. Those theories are out there. But the reality is that 1,000 degrees plus, there is no steel girder that can survive that kind of onslaught. Down in the lobby of the North Tower, for example, it was 1,000 degrees when the fireball went from the upper floors down through the elevator shafts, basically killing people on the, in the lobby itself, not in the upper floors. Some did escape with their lives, some with third-degree burns. This is very real what happened on 9-11. Uh, what's happened in your life is very real. And if you look back at this situation, you can say, well, you know, if, uh, if I was just this, if I was just that, nothing bad would ever happen in my life. Uh, you, you need to understand that in this world, you will have trouble. But what? Be of good cheer because I have overcome the world. Peter said it like this in 1 Peter 4.12, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. God is not doing the trying, but he will empower you to overcome it. Say it, I am an overcomer. No weapon formed against me will prosper in every tongue that rises up in judgment shall be refuted. Aren't you glad for that today? Just as certainly as you have the promise of challenge in this life, you have the promise of overcoming everything the devil can throw at you. Look at somebody and tell them, nothing's going to work against me. But in this scripture and in the context of today, I want you to see that the key to overcoming every setback, loss, or tragedy is to remember the scriptural principles from the truth of God's word. And it's the powerful principle and the power of remembering. There's an application here that I want you to see that uh, not just recall mentally, but, but intentional spiritual remembering. Now, separate this from things like Paul mentioned in his writings. He said, this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind. He was talking about the things of his past, the things of shame, the things that he was involved in he's not proud of. But there are a lot of things, according to the Word of God, we should be remembering. And they have an, an, an impact on our lives, an impact on our heart, an impact on our attitude. When we remember spiritually, it helps to clarify our lives. There's evil in this world and it needs to be identified. We need to know who is doing what. The devil's a destroyer, but God is a giver of life. It should reinforce and clarify to you the nature of your God. Remembering also detoxifies. Detoxifies us from what? From unscriptural thinking, from things that contradict the Word of God. When I remember what God has done, when I remember what God is doing, it shows me that His Word lines up with His character perfectly and that His character is consistent with His Word. Amen. And how do you understand, with all the junk out there and with all the misinformation, it would be easy for you to get tainted in your thinking. Especially when you go through things. Because that flesh wants to rise up and begin to reason where you need to instead trust God and his word at a time like that. Remembering unifies. In other words, it unifies you with the word of God, but it also unifies you with uh, people like precious faith. When you intentionally scrub the principles of God and what he has done from your life, it has the effect of disuniting you from him, but also disuniting you, know, you from other people. You know, Todd mentioned this about the schools. I don't know what's up with that. I don't make those decisions, and I don't know what's going on in our public schools as far as 9-11. I can tell you this. There's a reason why the devil doesn't want it taught in our schools, because he doesn't want our people unified. This should be taught. Not so you can vilify a people group, so you can say this is real. This is a 20-year war. Put this in perspective. It lasted five years longer than World War II. And our kids not be taught about it? If I were a teacher, I'd say I'm going to teach it every single class I have. 
Every year I'm going to teach it. I'm going to let these kids know that evil is real and so is God. And God is bigger than the evil that's out there. But we need to understand this and it unifies. That truth unifies us rather than separates us. Can you imagine and remember on 9-12 what happened, how powerful the unity was across the country. Nobody was talking about blue states or red states or Republican or Democrat or independent. Nobody was talking about vilifying another person because of their beliefs. Amen. It wasn't gender, it wasn't race, it was nothing. It was simply the Americans standing together to respond to this thing. It actually was one of our worst days in our history on 9-11, and 9-12 was one of our best days in our history. Because the truth is unified. Amen. Fourth, uh, remembering intensifies what? Our resolve. That we're going to be bolder than ever before. We're going to be more determined than ever to overcome. We're going to stand and be victorious. Remembering also magnifies. Magnifies who? Magnifies our God. Because the more you magnify him, the smaller the problem looks. The more you talk about the problem, the smaller your God gets. And I mean, nothing is bigger than your God. Do you believe what you're saying this morning? He's a wonder-working God. He is still in the miracle business. That you do have the keys of the kingdom according to the word of God. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. There's a whole lot more to you than meets the eye. But you need to remember. I don't know why it is that the people of God seem to have spiritual amnesia about truth and about the, the power of God and what he has done. We'll remember all the bad things and forget all the good things. I'll tell you what, you and I would be a lot happier if we would focus on what God has done and is doing than all the things that didn't work out in life. David didn't ask for that attack on Ziklag, but he certainly had to deal with it. And that's where many people are today. Turn to somebody and say, I'm going to magnify God and demagnify the problem. God is huge. And he's got great plans still for you. And he's got great plans still for our community. And he's got great plans still for our nation. Best days are ahead of us. The devil will not succeed in dividing these, the people of this nation. It will not work. God will expose the nonsense that's going on and he'll silence the voices of those that continue to, to etch away at the fabric of our society. People are coming to their senses. I confess it and declare it in Jesus' name and they're seeing right through this nonsense. What kind of nonsense you're talking about? I'm talking about the nonsense of a woman dressing up like an ape and throwing an egg at a black African-American who's running for governor of California because he happens to be a conservative. I noticed that BLM is not there. I noticed that the NAACP has said nothing about that. You want to know why, church? Because it's not that black lives don't matter. They do. Are you understanding what I'm saying to you? But the organization is an agenda-driven organization. And that agenda is you have to have the right ideology. And the leadership has been, what, baptized in communism. And the root of communism in this nation is to divide the people. What happened to, to Mr. Elder was a hate crime. And should be investigated as a hate crime. But because he's a conservative, God-fearing man, nobody cares. Now, what does that tell you? It tells you that black lives matter is not true. Only some black lives matter. The ones with the right ideology. Now, I'm telling you, God is fed up with this nonsense. I said he's fed up with this. And I'm saying the eyes of the American people are opening up. I don't care what color they are. I don't care what background they have. They're going to see this stuff as plain as day. They're going to reject it. They're going to come together. And our best days are ahead of us in Jesus' name. He's going to open up the eyes of the blind to see this. If you just step back, you see it's all agenda driven. Divide and conquer. This won't work, for example, the way it worked in the Soviet Union. They used class, and they used income, and they used that to divide people. They made a conscious decision in this nation, the fabric of those organizations that are Marxists by, by nature, they made a, a, a deliberate decision to go after our most sensitive area, and that is in the area of race relations. And I'll tell you what God is doing. The, West, the best way to deal with any kind of issue like that is have the Lord Jesus Christ save and baptize everybody in the Holy Ghost. They'll walk in love, and all they'll care about is the Word of God. Won't care what you look like. 
Can I, hear, can I tell you what I hear the Spirit of God saying? They're doing this thing, these things because they're scared spitless right now. They're scared that the white man and the black man and the red man and the yellow man and the purple man and the green man are all going to get born again in spirit field and get together and expose what's going on. They're terrified of what God is about to do. Amen. We're going to magnify the Lord. Say it, I'm going to magnify the Lord. Turn to somebody and say, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name. Together. Spiritual memory, how critical is it? Listen to these verses. Psalm 143, 5. I remember the days of old. I meditate on all that you have done. I ponder the work of your hands. How many can think about some things outside of your life you've seen God do in people's lives in this world, the very creation that is here? But guess what? He has done mighty things outside of our lives. Well, how many can raise your hand and say, God has done mighty things in my life? Well, if he did it before, he'll do it again. Come on, shout it out. He'll do it again. Say it again. He'll do it again. Psalm 103, verse 2. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits on your worst day. Under the greatest pressure, the most difficult situation, don't you dare forget that you have covenant benefits. Not pie in the sky ideas and maybe in a hoping and a praying. You have blood-bought covenant benefits. And you should hold on to them. Not the least of which is all your sins are forgiven and all your diseases are healed and your head crowned with loving kindness and your feet being removed from the pit. Hallelujah. He's going to fill your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed. Remember, remember. Ecclesiastes 12, 1 says, Remember also your creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near, which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. What does it mean? It means remember, serve the Lord now with thanksgiving. Serve him now with thanksgiving. Don't put it off till someday. Serve him now. Make this be the most on fire day you've ever had for God. Make tomorrow be more on fire than that. Make him your highest priority and your greatest joy. Not one day, now. Remember. 1 Corinthians 11.25 In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Why would he do such a thing? Because we are prone to forget. Whenever you eat this, this bread and you drink of this cup, amen, you do so in remembrance of me. Remember what I did. Remember that I'm about to do something else, amen. amen. Remember what I've done in your life. Remember what I'm going to do. Remember. There's just something about the world that we live in is able to somehow squash or push out our spiritual memory. The more pressure, the more stress, the busier we are, the more aggravated we get, the more tired and run down we get, it's easy to forget. And that's why he said, look, you're going to partake of this and you're going to remember. And how do you understand when you're eating that bread, you understand that he was broken for you and for me. By his stripes, we are healed. And that blood that we have represented as a cup of juice represents what he shed for you and me. Without the remission of what? Without blood shedding, there is no remission of sin. So we remember. And just a religious tip for you, you don't have to wait for church to have communion in your home. We always have the extra cups. You know, those demonically inspired cups you can't get open. <laughs> no. We always have them left over. When you're battling something, you get together as a family. If you're battling something personally, just go before the Lord. Smith Wigglesworth got to the point where he took it every single day. Why? He wanted to remember. Remember. Hallelujah. 2 Peter 1, 12 and 13. Therefore, I'll always remind you about these things, even though you already know them and are standing firm in the truth you have been taught. 
It's only right that I should keep on reminding you as long as I live. Peter said, as long as I have breath, I am going to keep reminding you what you already know. You're standing in the truth, but I'm going to keep on reminding you. Brother Osteen used to say, you know what? He was under such great pressure when he got out of seminary to have every week an original sermon and a masterpiece, the pressure to compete with other people in the ministry to outdo somebody else. And then one day he said he got so exhausting, the Lord just said, just get up there, feel your heart throughout the week and minister to me throughout the week and get up there and just feed the people. And so I said, well, don't you think if you keep on preaching the same thing, Brother Osteen, the people will remember? He said, oh, they don't remember. The point is, our spiritual memories are shorter than we think they are. And even Peter recognized that thousands of years ago. I'm going to keep on reminding you, amen. Not until you get it, because even after you get it, you're prone to forget it. Get it? I'm going to say it again. Hallelujah. Never stop standing in the truth, no matter what others say. Other people compromise on what is true. There you are still standing on the truth. Somebody tries to put some societal pressure on you about what you believe. No, you're going to stand for the truth no matter what happens. 2 Timothy 1.6, For this reason I remind you to fan and to flame the gifts of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. It means use the gifts that God gave to you. Remember, he put something in you. Are you here today? There's something on you, there's something in you. It's up to you to recognize that, to remember and to fan that into flame and make sure you use what God has put on the inside of you to advance his kingdom. Turn to somebody and tell them, you're something else. Why? Because you have powerful things on the inside of you. Look at him with all seriousness and say, remember. Philippians 3.1, further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again. And listen to these words. And it is a safeguard. Remembering the Lord's instruction protects us. The day of the week of the month, the year we forget something vital is the day we go into a ditch. And I am telling you that we don't have time to spend 10 years in the ditch. We don't have time to spend five years in the outback spiritually. We've got to get busy in what he's called us and assigned us to do. Now, how many are willing with a raised hand? You're willing to get out there and do what he's called you to do. Remember, I think about Ziklag and this principle of the power of remembering. We know what Ziklag was for David and his men. We know what Ziklag was for those families and for this nation on 9-11. For you today, Ziklag may be some tragedy. Could be the loss of a loved one. Could be the loss of a job or the loss of a home. Loss of a family. The loss of a marriage or relationship. Could have been loss of a direction or a loss of vision. You may have had a lost purpose in your life. I don't know what Ziklag is for you, but I can tell you this. The bottom line is you expected something to turn out a certain way, and it did not turn out that way. I promise you this, nobody that got on a subway and got to the towers that morning thought anything like that was going to happen. Nobody that got on board a plane bound for California ever thought they'd ever be, you know, ended up on the ground in Pennsylvania. Nobody ever thought that. When they got up, that was a normal day, beautiful day, crisp, clear, beautiful day in September in New York and throughout the, the, you know, the Northeast. And yet, look what happened. Their ziklag was very, very real. I guarantee you their day didn't turn out like they wanted to turn out that day. Think about these individuals who had phone calls from the plane, like Todd Beamer's widow. I think about the Solicitor General. Uh, Mr. Olson's wife was on board that plane. Conversations they had, they didn't think it was going to be the last one they ever had. It didn't turn out the way you thought it would turn out. Raise your hand if something ever, you know, didn't turn out the way you thought it was going to turn out. And let's be honest, some of you like to raise your five and ten toes. Amen. Yes, praise the Lord. I've been there and done that, bought the T-shirt, hallelujah, set up a souvenir shop in the Bahamas with all my things like that. There's something 
to this principle that helps you not only deal with that, but overcome it. Say it boldly, I am an overcomer. Say it, Ziklag will not take me out. So I promise you, if you haven't had one, somewhere there's one waiting. There is a devil. And there are a lot of people that serve him. I'm just going to give you these eight simple principles from this text in 1 Samuel. And I really want you just to take them and, and meditate on them. And let the Lord talk to you and encourage you today. They're all based entirely on this text. Number one, remember, remember that evil does what evil is. You shouldn't be shocked at it. And if you've been shocked at evil, you need to stop it. I'll tell you this, though. God didn't bring it here. Amen? Amen. God didn't put it here. But we shouldn't be surprised to see it in the world because it came through the channel of Adam and Eve in their partnership with the evil one. There was nothing like that in the garden. There was no evil, no famine, no disease, no war, no death, no ziklags. Remember, evil's going to do what evil is. But the good news for you and for me is there is no weapon formed against you that can prosper. Amen. The righteous man falls how many times? And he gets back up. Scripture says, yea, when I fall, I shall arise. God didn't call you to lay on the floor. He's called you to get up. Don't be surprised when the band comes down and raids Ziklag. Does something that is completely contrary to where you are and what you believe. Number two, remember you can feel lost without becoming lost. You can feel lost without becoming lost. That means defined by it, controlled by it. It means stuck by a spirit of grief. You can't be trapped by the spirit of grief. The prison of grief is not going to get a hold of you. You can feel something very strongly. And you can allow the Lord to take that, you know, and minister to you and make up your mind that you are not going to be defined by what happened to you or what you lost. That you're going to be defined by the promises of God in your life. You're going to be defined by the goodness of God in your life. You're going to be defined by the turnaround. But I can tell you that a lot of people have ziklag they stay there mentally all the days of their lives. They serve that grief. When your mentality should be this, David prayed for that boy that was born out of wedlock and he was sick. And he sought the face of God and he prayed and he fasted and the boy died and then he got up and his servants thought he was a nut. Now you're fine, now you have peace. And David made a very prolific statement. I can't bring him back here to me, but I will go to be where he is. You know what the devil loved to do? Use that ziklag to neutralize you the rest of your breathing days on this planet. See, you thought it was just about what happened. No, his vision is bigger than that. He wants to shut you down for the rest of your life. Look at somebody and tell them you got things to do, places to go, people to see. Come on, shout out, I got things to do. People to see, places to go. Come on, say it again. I have things to do. Places to go. People to see for the kingdom of God. So you take that ziklag and you realize one thing today. You feel something that doesn't have to make you lost yourself. Number three, remember the God who is still with you. David must have felt like everybody else had taken a hike and forsaken him. I'm sure he felt that way. I want to remind you, your God never leaves you nor forsakes you. I want to remind you that your God loves you. Don't turn on the one that never turned on you. Well, I'm mad because this didn't work out. I'm mad because the ziklag happened. I'm mad because this fell apart. I'm mad because this dream came to me. I'm mad because this marriage did. I'm mad, I'm mad, I'm mad. How about realizing this, that God's not the author of any of it, but he's still there to help you pick the pieces up if you'll let him. Come on, say it. Don't turn on the one that never turned on you. 
I'm glad he's patient and kind and full of grace and mercy because I've never seen anything like it. The things that he gets blamed for, he had nothing to do with. Nothing to do with. And he doesn't need my help. He's God. He's big enough. But it is a shame because of what it does is it neutralizes us to blame him for the things the devil did. What a great gimmick that is. Remember, he's still with you. Say, so he never leaves me nor forsakes me. If God is for me, who can be against me? So there's David. Family is gone. Kids gone. Wife gone. <laughs> All the men turned their backs on him. But who is still there? I just can't do this, Pastor. Everybody's walked away from me. I just can't. Yes, you can because there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Amen. <laughs> Say it. He loves me. He's for me. He's with me. I remember this story. I've shared it with you before. That uh, you know, Creflo was talking about. He and Taffy went on a cruise, and they got a nice, you know, state room and windows surrounded and great view. And he'd been preaching on God's love. And I mean, you know, it's one thing to say God loves you. It's another thing for you to actually understand that and believe the depth of it, how much God loves you. And that's why one way or another you're coming out of this, because God loves you. You're not going to be defined by Ziklag because God loves you. So he'd been preaching this, and he was sound asleep, you know, 1, 2 o'clock in the morning, and all of a sudden he starts hearing these pelts of waves hitting those windows he sat straight up, and he was absolutely convinced that like the Titanic, that boat was going down. And he starts saying, God loves Creflo. God loves me. God loves Creflo. God loves me. God loves me. And he woke up Taffy, and finally Taffy pulled back the curtain and said, would you go back to bed? They're just cleaning the windows. <laughs> Come on, say, God loves me. That's why you're coming out of this. Number four, remember, hurt people hurt people. These men are hurt. But you and I have a tendency when people that are hurt try to hurt us, take it personally. That's actually a form of pride. It must be me. No, sometimes it's not you at all. When people are hurt, they want to find someone to blame. Like David, you might be someone's easy target for blame and accusation. Bible says they each got bitter in their heart. The problem with bitterness is bitterness never stays in one person's heart. The root of bitterness rises up and does what? It defiles many. So whoever had that attitude, it spread. This is all David's fault. You're right, it's David's fault. Somebody else says, well, what do you think? Well, it's David's fault. Next thing you know, everybody is bitter and looking for somebody to blame. How do you understand blaming somebody at Ziklag is not going to get anything done? It's not going to bear any fruit. It's not going to drain any joy or victory. Remember, hurt people hurt people. Turn to somebody and say, hurt people hurt people. The problem with that notion is when that hurt person hurts us, we want to hurt them back. Number five, remember, no one can encourage you like you can. You're the only you you've got. Raise your hand and say, I'm stuck with me. There are no wives and children. There are you no know, relatives. None of the men are with you. There's just you and God. Whatever translation you want to use from the scripture, David found strength in the Lord. David encouraged himself in the Lord. It's about you ministering to yourself in that Ziklag experience. Well, nobody called, nobody wrote, nobody emailed, nobody texted, nobody IM'd. You would think with all that technology, they could figure out a way. Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. Nobody cares. You'd be amazed how many Christians, that's the depth of their spiritual formation. If 15 people don't come around them, they just tailspin spiritually. But at times, that's just the way it is. And not, it's not necessarily somebody doesn't like you or care about you. Have you ever, has it ever dawned on your little brain somebody might else be having a zigzag experience at the same time? 
And while you're complaining they don't care about you or want to encourage you, you haven't picked up the phone to encourage them and they're sick like. And I'm preaching about a lot better than y'all are looking at me right now. I'm in a ziklag. Everybody should come to me. Everybody should care. Everybody should call. Has it ever dawned on you that sometimes the devil strikes in more than one place at a time? Now, what do you do? Moan and groan, murmur and complain? Or do you do what David did? He recalled the one has not forsaken him. And he encouraged himself in the Lord. How would you do that? Learn to preach to yourself. Amen. Ladies, raise your hand if you ever ask or told your husband to do something. Come on, let's raise him up high. You don't want to be a liar right now. You want to... Amen. Gentlemen, how many of you ever asked or told your wives to do something? In love, of course. Well, now you know how to preach. You just preach to yourself. Amen? It's not that difficult. She says, would you take out the trash? Tell yourself, if you could be told to take out the trash, and I could be told to snap out of it. Amen? Glory to God. You know how to preach to others. You're very skilled at telling other people what to do. Just not so good at telling yourself what to do. Yes, David, this is a ziklag. Yes, this is a bad situation. But you know what you're going to do? You're going to magnify the Lord. You're going to encourage yourself in the Lord. Amen? Self, you're coming out of this in Jesus' name. Self, you're the head not the tail above only not beneath. Self, you are going to go and victory. You're going to win this situation. You're going to win the battle. You're going to be an overcomer. Self, you're going to do it in Jesus' name. Hey, self, you're made in the image of God. Hey, self, the Holy Ghost is in you. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is in you. Hey, self. Or we can sit there and say, I can't believe somebody didn't even call me. I wonder which one's going to work. Look at somebody and tell them, hey, self. Preach to yourself. Find strength in the Lord. This one principle is key to overcoming in life. Most just wait around hoping somebody else will do what they can only do for themselves. You're stuck with you. You're the only you you will ever have. Amen. So when Ziklag happens, what do you do? You encourage yourself in the Lord. And you have enough word and you have enough knowledge of the promises of God that you can do this. Come on, said, I can do it. Number six, remember to get the counsel of God on the issue rather than reacting in the flesh. Very wise portion of scripture here for us to consider. David sought the direction of God in the midst of Ziklag. You'd be amazed how many dumb things were done in reaction to Ziklags in the body of Christ. You know what happens if you react in the flesh? You just make it worse. More lasting damage has been done in our lives due to reacting rather than just waiting on God. Now, you and I don't have to get the ephod, get the priest. We have a high priest, his name is Jesus. And we have something more true and more real than an ephod, and that's the Holy Ghost living on the inside of us. And you hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk ye in it. The true teacher of the church, the counselor, the helper will show you what you need to do. Sometimes it's do nothing. Sometimes it's rise up and pursue. We need to know when he's saying we should do something and when we should just rest in him. Amen. Number seven, remember to look for the path to restoration in the midst of the darkness. He told him to go pursue. God set up a divine appointment with this Egyptian and on their way to the restoration of God. I can tell you this, restoration is God's specialty. 
Your day is upon you in Jesus' name. Restoration is at your door. You're going from devastation to restoration. You're going from a host of things you could not understand or deal with to God's victory in every area of your life. There are those that are in this room right now, you've had one physical thing after another. It's time for your ziklag to be redeemed, amen? It's time for restoration to come to you so you can enjoy these days and do what God's assigned you to do. I know it feels like in the natural so much to handle that how could God possibly do anything with me with all that because he's a God of restoration. And I love the fact that he always restores us better than we were originally. Turn to somebody and tell them you're going to be better than you were before all of that happened. Some of you are facing financial ziklags, you know, or health ziklags or interpersonal ziklags or whatever. God is going to restore you to a place where you're better than you were. Amen. Every time I'm out in town and I see a 1967 Mustang, it takes me back to my high school days. My 67 Mustang, instead of the 289 stock engine, had a 351 Cleveland in it. I had new exhaust, glass packs, and when I cranked it up in the morning, it spoke in tongue. Listen, I didn't have one of those electric cars that got me. This car spoke in tongues when you woke it up. And uh, the only problem with those cars, for whatever reason, they like to rust out. They rust out over the wheel wells. You open up the trunk, and half the trunk is gone. And uh, that's when I got, you know, familiar with a product, and it restores you. It's called Bondo. And uh, how many understand that if once you start putting Bondo in, you got to keep it up because it's going to fall out. And some of y'all have that mentality about your life. Well, you know, it seems like God patches it and the patch falls off, you know. No, when God makes you and restores you, it's going to be better than the original was. Amen. And that's what he's up to doing. And one day when the full glorification occurs in the body of Christ, you're going to be stunned at just how good he is. Amen. You're going to go from Bondo Mobile, amen, to Golden Chariot. I mean, that car, that rust would get everywhere. I was driving between Carbondale and Marion, Illinois one night late. And uh, I look in the rearview mirror, and I mean, sparks flying everywhere. I thought, what in the world is going on? I'm looking everywhere behind me. And I'm like, what is going on? I, I just pulled the car over, and the entire exhaust system has fell down onto the pavement as I was driving. I'm sitting out there in the middle of the night, with a wire hanger tying the exhaust system back up so I can drive the car back home. Some of y'all have that mentality with God. You Lord, just, just tie me up with a hanger, Lord. Just, just, just get me another day. He's not interested in tying your exhaust system up with a wire hanger. He's interested in fixing you good. Amen. Say, so he's my restorer. So David went out, and the Bible says he recovered everything. And God also increased him with the plunder that the Amalekites had taken. Amen. Good day. Everybody say good day. Good day. Remember, evil does what evil is. Remember, you can feel lost without becoming lost. Remember the God who is still with you. Remember, hurt people hurt people. Remember, no one can encourage you like you can. Remember to get the counsel of God on the issue rather than reacting in the flesh. Remember to look for the path of restoration in the midst of that dark time. Say it with me, I am restored in Jesus' name. And number eight, remember accountability always comes. Malachites took Ziklag, but their day was coming. There's this idea in a lot of Christian minds in the church that People do whatever they want to do. There's never any accountability. Can't believe this person blew this up or blew this home up or blew this marriage up or blew this business up or blew this ministry up or blew this situation. I can't believe all that happened. It seems like nothing ever is held accountable. Can I tell you something? Nobody gets away with anything. No one. Just because it doesn't happen on your timetable doesn't mean it's not going to happen. Remember a verse in Romans 12, 9, where the Lord says, Vengeance is mine, 
saith the Lord, I will repay. You know what you focus on when you hear that verse? That's right, vengeance is mine, I got to let it go. You forgot the second part of that verse. I will repay. There are wages owed for what was done, and I will repay. It's between me and them. No one gets away with anything. It may seem slow in coming, but justice will always come to the child of God. Always. You can rest in his character. You can rest in God and the history of his dealings with people to know that even though he is long-suffering, and listen to me, child of God, he's long-suffering with a pagan. He's long-suffering with a pagan world. He's extra long-suffering with his own kids that do stupid things. But eventually, if there is no repentance, if there is no dealing with that, no one gets away with anything. There is nothing hidden that will not be disclosed. So if you're sitting back, you know, thinking about Ziklag, and I, nobody ever does anything as old Malachites, I tell you, they get away with everything. I'm so sick of this. This person did this and did that and did this and did that, and there's no accountability. Let me tell you something. Nobody gets away with anything. And can I tell you this? Be careful wanting people to have accountability, or you just might speed up the accountability in your own life. Better to be merciful as he is merciful. But that said, God sent the prophet to Nineveh 40 days, and Nineveh will be overturned. The king proclaimed a fast, including the animals. They repented, and God relented. And for a season, they were more honorable. They walked more circumspectly, but they returned to their ways. And the prophet Nahum was sent to say, you're done. And Nineveh was overturned. The Assyrians eventually were held accountable. Turn to somebody and say, no one gets away with anything. Well, I just can't believe what the Egyptians did to Israel. I can't believe in all of that mess, the slavery and the oppression and what they did. Will they ever be held accountable? Can you just see that after being the great empire in the world, they're now more an asterisk in history. There's always accountability. I can't believe what the Romans did to the Christians. I can't believe what Nero did. Are they, are they ever going to be held accountable? And then there was a Pompeii. No one, come on, say it, no one gets away with anything. I think about the Third Reich. What a bunch of evil people. from dividing people based on fear so they could persecute people that they thought were less than others, whether you were a gypsy or you were someone from the, from the Russian territories or you were a Jew within even German and Austrian ter you know, territories to, to persecute, to separate, and ultimately to destroy, to, to experiment on people for the benefit of your people. How many understand wickedness doesn't leave this earth, it just goes from one group to the next? Will they ever be held accountable? Yeah? Fast forward to a man, a coward with a gun in his head, who takes his new bride's life and then his own life in Germany as both Russia and the United States are surging towards that spot. It was dealt with. When 9-11 happened, I wanted that thing to be resolved quickly. I wanted to hear a week later that they got that guy and all that were serving with him. It didn't happen. It didn't happen in 2001. It didn't happen in 2002. It didn't happen in 2005. Amen. It didn't happen in 2008. President Bush was no longer the president, and it didn't happen. And Barack Obama took office, the CIA found this character hiding right next to the Pakistani military training site there at West Point. While this is going on, little, little mamas in Pakistan and throughout the region were naming their kids Osama. 
Little boys were wearing Osama bin Laden's shirts as if to add to the mockery. They found him, though, in 2011. And on May 2nd, 2011, the president gave the order to send three Blackhawks with a special crack seal team to take him out and anybody that resisted. On May 2nd, 2011, Osama bin Laden didn't get away with anything. He was done. Now, when I got to meditating on this, the Spirit of God just quickened me strongly that it didn't happen in the first year or the fifth year. But guess what? Eventually, accountability came. You don't burn Ziklag down. You don't have that stuff happen to you, and there's not accountability for it. Amen. The destroyer has been at work in your life. Maybe a relationship, maybe even just your reputation. God always holds those accountable who harm his covenant people. Some of them not have made a big mistake attacking New York. Not only were there hundreds of thousands of Christians, there are hundreds of thousands of his Jewish people there. Couldn't have picked a worse target. The thing that's been done to you, the thing that you have endured, the Ziklag experience, I got some good news for you. May 2nd's coming for you too. Amen? Your job is just to walk with God. Their May 2nd is going to come. And you're going to find out that he is a God of justice, as well as your restoration. Amen? Your job, walk with God. His job, to take care of the evil that's out there. No matter what has happened, you're overcoming that thing in Jesus' name. Every Ziklag experience, you're overcoming in Jesus' name. Everything the devil has thrown at you to steal, kill, and destroy, you're overcoming in Jesus' name. Come on, sit. I am an overcomer. Come on, stand to your feet and just yell it out. I am an overcomer. Glory to God. Thank you, my Father. Let's give him a hand clap and thank him for his word.